Are we doing Hello. this? We are. I never What's know up, when Tara? you're hitting record. It's very rude. Uh, yeah, I know. It's a little bit harder to see from this <laughs> social distancing kind of thing. Oh my God. But well, here we go. Whatever comes out of my mouth comes out of my mouth. I'm telling you, that is our new tagline. It took us two and a half seasons, but we got there. Whatever the fuck well, I say is whatever the fuck I say. <laughs> we have to put our special go-go juice into our mouths. <laughs> To figure out what is actually going to come out of our mouths during these podcasts. So, Hi guys, welcome to Basic Snitches. That's right. I'm Tara. And I'm Adam. This is our 50th episode. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird you have listened to us 50 times? And if you haven't, bitch, you got some work to do. So go back and listen to the episodes that you didn't. <laughs> it's kind of hard to believe that we've done this for 50 times. Well, um, since when this drops, it'll be over a year since our first episode. Yeah. 50 episodes in one year. That I mean, it makes sense. We've been doing this about once a week. Sometimes we'll take a week off. Between the books, we take about two off. So yeah, thank you for continuing to listen to this. And as a celebration of our 50th episode, what you should do is go share this podcast with all your friends and force them to listen to it. Thank you. <laughs> Good plan. Bye. <laughs> And today we are discussing chapter 11 of The Prisoners of Azkaban, The Fireball. I'm so excited to be tall. I'm Adam and he's tall. You're tall. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I don't know what I thought. I was like, oh, okay. Tara grew six inches and my heart is like the opposite of the Grinches. Oh, it's so wow, cute that, that you think that you're that only laughed. six inches taller than that, me. Oh my, I said I laughed. Uh, I mean, that rhymed. <laughs> I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but what I'm saying is Tara grew six inches and Adam's heart shrunk <laughs> six times. And Adam is more than six inches taller than me. Anyways, so Tara wrote me a thing. Oh, wait, hold on. Do you want to... Oh, shit. That's right. <laughs> it's been like two weeks and I already forgot the whole layout that we have of these episodes. So chapter 10, the Marauder's Map, there are two winners and one loser. I'm sure you know who the winners are. Fred and George. Yay! I mean, I just love that they did that for Harry. I think it says a lot about them. They are willing to give up literally the best thing that they have to cause trouble with. And they give it to Harry because they're like, you know what? This kid can use this. I have a really hard time with the loser of this chapter. I didn't think I'd ever give this person a loss. Is it McGonagall? It's McGonagall. Oh, that makes so much sense. So here's the thing. Yeah. is I was looking at it and I was just like, well, you know, all of them are being irresponsible, but I just feel like I expect more from her. I guess I'm going to have her share the loss with Flitwick because he is also an educator and we should be better. But they're going to take the loss over the rest of the asshats talking about shit in public that they shouldn't be talking about. I don't know. I just expect better from educators. Just no, okay. that makes sense. But it's okay. You know, you, Mika, you're still the best. Flitwick, I just threw you into that. You're also still fantastic. So there we go. Mika will always be a Quen, and some Quens are fallible. So yeah, that's right. All right, now, now Tara wrote me a thing. Oh, yeah, it's not very good. I appreciate how we've stopped calling it a summary and we're just calling it a we thing. We call it a now. thing because that's really what it is. Because who knows what the fuck is coming out of my mouth or in these cases in the email I send you. This is the thing segment. The right? thing segment, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Chapter 11, The Firebolt. 
Harry somehow gets back to Hogwarts and avoids his friends for the rest of the day until he goes to his dorm to look at the photo album Hagrid gave him. He finds Sirius in his parents' wedding photo, wondering if he had already betrayed James and Lily when they got married. Then Ron comes in, so Harry pretends to be asleep, and when he finally gets up the next day, everyone is gone because it's almost Christmas! But Harry is not in the mood for Christmas. He's more in the mood to overanalyze the whole Sirius Black is responsible for his parents' death thing, which is hardly going to put anyone in the holiday spirit. So Ron and Hermione take Harry to Hagrid, hoping that will cheer him up. But it doesn't because Hagrid got a letter from the ministry that Buckbeak is going to be on trial because fucking Malfoy is an idiot and can't listen to directions. Anyway, Ron makes tea, which is super sweet. Then Hagrid talks about Azkaban because this chapter is way more depressing than I ever remember it being. So that just cut to actual Christmas or quadrupled Christmas to the 16th power or whatever the fuck Adam wants to call it in this book. That's kind of rude, but also true. <laughs> It's Christmas and we get Weasley sweaters and Mama Weasley pies and snacks and what? Harry has a mystery present and it's a fireball fuck ye. <laughs> Except Hermione is unimpressed about the fireball and so is Crookshanks. Actually, no, Crookshanks doesn't give a shit about the broom, but he does try to eat scabbers and Ron and Hermione fight about this because that's just what they do. They go down to lunch and it's basically them, a first year from an unknown house that will never be mentioned again and the teachers, including Trelawney, who is dramatic and weird, but also entertaining. After lunch, Harry and Ron go back to the common room, and a few minutes later, Hermione shows up with McGuh, because she's afraid that Sirius Black may have sent Harry the fireball, and it could be jinxed. Why isn't the Christmas chapter fun in this book? Yeah, it's, it's not quite as fun. It's not fun. This is like one of those Christmases where the family get-together is like really intense and there's racist family members around and you just end up fighting the whole time. Well, enough about my and family, Adam. No, I'm just kidding. Every family has those moments during a holiday. Truly. That's why my family doesn't celebrate holidays. It's for the best. <laughs> The chapter opens up from the big bombshell that is dropped in the last chapter, of course, which is Harry learning about who Sirius Black really is in terms of how he ties back to him. Yeah. And I actually really enjoy some of this inner monologue that he has when he's going back to the castle. It's something along the lines of he doesn't know how he got back to Hogwarts and like how it took a lot less time to actually get there. And it totally makes me think of times where I've been driving, for example. Now, I mean, this is his second time taking this route and in the opposite direction. But at the same time, like when you're thinking about something or you're so preoccupied that it feels like you made the trip in like a split of a second. Yes. I totally feel uh, that, though. I mean, clearly the passage to Honeydukes was pretty straightforward, even though it was kind of like described as being like a rabbit's burrow. When you're in that mindset, it's really easy to like completely block out any sense of what is actually happening. In the past, I've always talked about how mindful of a kid Harry is. And in this case, he's not being mindful at all. Like this is him completely in his head. But who can blame it? I was not thinking even that deeply. I was thinking about how when you go on a trip somewhere and how it feels like it takes forever to get there. And then when you go home, it doesn't take that long to get home. And you're like, this is bullshit. What you were saying, it says a lot about how something can distract you from trivial things like taking a route you already know. Like you said, how, oh, I drove home and I wasn't thinking about it. Or like taking a shower 
Yeah. Or brushing your teeth. Like, I feel like a lot of times in the morning, sometimes I'm really preoccupied and I'm just going through the motions of whatever I'm doing and they happen, but I don't remember them happening. It's funny that you say that about the trip because we are almost on the year anniversary of us going to New York. Mm, It was the best time. I texted you or something about this because we had the Cleveland International Film Festival here. Of course, it was canceled. And so they did a streams thing of it. And I'm so grateful. But the movies I saw had like beautiful B-roll of the cities that they were in. And one of them was New York. And it showed these shots of like the Brooklyn Bridge and one whole scene that was underneath it. This whole time of like being cooped in and having to cancel a lot of travel this year. Most of it is not obviously happening. All I want to do is go back to like New York. This is strange, but editing the last few episodes... As we were talking and I was deleting our shitty footage, (laughs) I kept thinking of our trip and I was just like, oh, this sucks because obviously that it cannot happen right now, uh, taking a trip like that, even though I would love to drop everything and just go on a trip. Back to like what you were saying, I feel like for that trip, on the way there actually was faster. Really? Because we were together. And on the way back, it felt like it took a lot longer Getting out of New York, luckily, when we went was pretty quick because it was a Sunday afternoon and there was almost no traffic once I got on the highway. My next stop was my hotel. I was not as familiar with the route. And then even the next morning, I got up and was driving home. Then I was going to get right to work in the morning. And so part of me was like, how far is my from Cleveland, etc. For me, it was the opposite. (laughs) I mean, I think Which that is the weird. older you get, the more that the trip home doesn't really feel like it's any faster. When I was a kid and we would travel out to see my grandparents out in Iowa, the destination took forever and then coming home didn't. Even if it wasn't, it just feels that way. I think you're right. When you're an adult, it's definitely a different feeling. But when you have something completely, you know, enveloping your mind, like thinking about how your parents' best friend betrayed them, you know, it takes a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Serious. Speaking of serious, kind of something that I really got from this chapter and really this entire book, I touched very lightly on this in the past. Harry is wondering, like, why didn't anybody tell him about this? Everyone's trying to protect him, but they're not being completely 100% with him. I almost feel like they're protecting Harry without giving him information that gives him a sense of peace of mind. I agree with that. And I also think that the problem here is there's no one who's telling him anything about his family like Hagrid got all these pictures and gave them to him I mean and this movie has those moments with Lupin thinking about Lily but in reality no one really talks to Harry about who his parents were he just overheard all these people who obviously knew his parents I think the idea of other people knowing this information and just not giving him that is really very sad. If you're going to tell him part of it, you might as well tell him all of it. Because otherwise, (laughs) he's going to find out in a way similar to this. Or Malfoy would have told him, you know, something would have happened that is maybe worse. Well, and I think that in general, I mean, this is a pretty small community. It almost feels like people are going out of their way to keep this from him because they think they're protecting him. They're just making it worse for him. The book is wonderful and I love Hagrid for giving it to him. But like, I really would have loved him to have been able to get an opportunity to go through it with someone. If that were me, I would memorize every photo in that album. I would want to know everything about my parents, everything about their lives. He wouldn't have been shocked to notice Sirius 
he doesn't really look the same, but like Lupin. As you were saying that, I was thinking, okay, why hasn't he recognized Lupin? But Lupin also looks very different now. Right. I kind of get the feeling from a lot of these characters, Arthur, definitely Fudge. Fudge is not the person for this, which is, I think it's a good thing that he didn't say anything. But McGonagall, a lot of people are maybe thinking, well, it's not my place. But then whose place is it to tell him about this like someone has to give him this information kind of going back to people like protecting him just for the sake of protecting him without giving him the full story like i feel like to an extent people aren't establishing good boundaries with him no and it actually comes up later in this chapter at the very end where hermione decides to go straight to mcgonagall and mention the broom doesn't even mention it to harry when the broom thing happens hermione is kind of well don't you think this is weird who did this come from etc but she doesn't give the kind of explanation of what she's thinking as she usually does and then it kind of pops back up at the end of the chapter where she just tells mcgonagall that's another instance here of people not respecting that boundary. And I feel like she, at the very least, she should have said, hey guys, we need to at least be careful here and take this to McGonagall, take this to Dumbledore, take it to Madame Hooch, to someone. I feel like also Hermione knows better. Like I have flashbacks to the first book and how there was that little Harry and Ron versus Hermione moment. I'm really excited. I want to finish the rest of the chapter and I really want to get mm-hmm. back to that conversation. I do want to comment on Harry thinking about Azkaban and how the, the Dementors don't bother Sirius Black and how he keeps dwelling on the Dementors in this book. I feel like he dwells more on the Dementors than anything else. I think he understands this adversary of Voldemort and not because of his connection with Voldemort it's like Voldemort is bad but like these guards are supposed to guard a prison but they also just represent so much dark scary shit you know me I've been criticizing the sheets with teeth for a while and I've been trying to think of like okay what is like a devil's advocate to them like is there some sort of benefit to using that We've been talking about fear and failure and things like that. And you touched on it really well that Voldemort, they know, is evil. These things are still a little bit unknown. There's not a lot of information we completely know about them, except what they're used for, how they're impacting Harry and making other people feel, etc. The other thing that I wrote down at this point, and then I ended up going back on it later in the chapter, so I'm hopping forward again a little bit, but... I wrote down, why don't the Dementors affect Black? Because that's something that they talked about, and then Harry brings it up again. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is it because Black was innocent? But clearly not, because then Hagrid talks about it later. And Hagrid was innocent too. I know we get an explanation later that Sirius says that they didn't affect him as much when he was in dog form. And probably that thought about being innocent, and really his love for James and Lily and Harry, probably. He clearly didn't give up hope. Just to kind of put the two ideas of what you and I both said together. The end of the first book where Harry faces off with Quirreldemort. He knows how to react to that. It's a fight or flight and it's a I have to do what I can do. And if I die trying, okay. Like he's in that frame of mind. But he's vulnerable. He's at school in the fucking train with his friends. And this goddamn Dementor makes him basically have like a seizure. Not only that, the fight or flight thing. He knew that that was going to happen. You're going through these 
puzzles in the first book, you know that there's going to be someone at the end yeah. there. And it was a surprise on who it was, but he was a little bit more prepared. Also, going back to what you said about Sirius and how he wasn't affected in dog form, but he also had the hope. Hope is going to be, I think, another thing that comes up along with fear and failure and mindfulness. <laughs> because yes. what you were talking about was another 10 points for mindfulness because that's really what kind of got him through that. Yeah, And you know, that Hagrid does not have that level of patience and calm in him. Obviously, we see that in this chapter, too. Hagrid is still so childlike and innocent at like 60 in the first book. At Azkaban, he was innocent. He probably had hope that he could get through it and that Dumbledore would figure out a way to get him out. But he's still got like childlike fear, I think. I do want to just talk really briefly. They do have that little encounter. They kind of are rehearsed and everything in the way that they are approaching Harry. Mm -hmm. And Harry is kind of a little bit of a dick in this moment. But can you blame him? He's clearly very affected by this. This is also where the pocket sneakoscope comes up. Yes. And that's when they're also talking about all of this. Again, Sirius is being mentioned and the whole thing. Ron's pocket quivers right when the sneak of snow scope is going off. And that's not him getting a little stiffy. It's the other dick in this book that we're talking about. The two dicks in this book, Ron's and Scamp's. <laughs> First time you read this book, did you think that the sneak of scope was just like a write-off thing? Because I did. I did too, probably. Yeah. It's something that kind of fades in the background. Because I, I remember reading it again and being like, I think this is important. <laughs> We've seen so many little details. And actually, Christmas is a time when they really pop up. Like the gifts in the past book. Yes. The flute, the treacle fudge, etc. If she put it in the book, it's in there for a reason. I don't know if by this point I necessarily would have gotten to that point. There are some things that you do tend to see because they're patterns like defense against the art dark arts mm -hmm. professors for example but i think it might have just been a fluke to me at that moment going back to harry being kind of melodramatic and everything this next scene where they decide to go down to hagrid and he's kind of forceful about it too i'm actually kind of surprised hermione isn't like oh we shouldn't be leaving the castle grounds but whatever he wants to kind of confront hagrid and ask him he identifies hagrid as one of those people who should have told him but then it's hard to be mad at harry for being being so forceful when then he does become so empathetic towards Hagrid. I agree. They don't end up talking about that because Hagrid got a very sad letter. Going back to what we were talking about. <laughs> I've said it already a million times. This is the word of the episode where there's going to be a, like a counter sound. That's joke is bad. I've used it the past few episodes, but mindfulness is, is the special word of the day. We're going to scream just like we're on PB's playhouse. No. For all of you young people, that was a show back when <laughs> we were children. <laughs> I never watched it. There is a family video of me like one maybe or under and I'm just in my diaper and I have a pacifier in and I'm just like straight up like dancing around the living room of my parents old condo to Pee Wee's Playhouse. That's amazing and I need to see that video. That's the most naked you're ever going to see me beach. Probably not because you are wearing your underwear all the time when I come to your house. Yeah, I know, but that's just my legs. My <laughs> dick isn't actually hanging out. And I'm not taking off my shirt. I'd rather take off my underwear before I take my shirt off. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> mindfulness. 
this is him really overthinking this a little bit. And I mean, I do it too. You know, like I get a bill in the mail. You overthink get, things? What? I know. <laughs> shocking to everybody. Or like a camera speeding ticket or something like that. I automatically like overthink it. So that's what Hagrid is doing here too. But it's funny because at first the kids read the first part about him not getting fired. And they're like, that's great. And Hagrid's like, read the rest of it, you little shit. <laughs> <laughs> of course, this is where we learn that Buckbeak is going to have the hearing. There should not be a committee for the disposal of dangerous creatures. Please rename that. That's terrible. Newt Scamander like, is having like a cow over this. Yeah, it makes me wonder like what has happened in the past for them to need this committee. Like, I, I do love that Hagrid lets Buckbeak stay in his house, though. <laughs> That is kind of funny. I really want Buckbeak to be my pet. I'd let him do what the fuck he wants. It's fine. I feel a fuck Mary kill coming on, but I already have one prepared for this episode. It, so maybe I mean I'm sure episode. Buckbeak is kind of important in this book. Buckbeak is totally marryable too, let's be honest. <laughs> Ain't nobody killing Buckbeak. Right. That's the spoiler, FYI, for anyone listening to this. Something else happens in this moment, and that is Fang comes right up to Hagrid and puts his head on his knee. I love Fang. I like that because pets know when you're upset. I know. And I've had some pretty difficult days here working remotely these past almost two months. The cats know, I feel like, when I'm upset. I will say, I have the clingiest cats in the entire fucking world. I feed them when I get up in the morning, so that's like around 8 o'clock-ish. And then I feed them at 5.30 when I'm done working. When I'm not working from home, they get fed like around 730 and then six or later if I'm doing something after work, right? <laughs> At 3.30 every fucking day, Busby starts begging for food. It's ridiculous. And they're now both of them constantly. So it started with Berkeley. The Busby does it all day too now. They'll jump on this desk when I'm working like every 15 minutes. Aww. So I appreciate that they're very lovable and they care about me and they know when I'm upset, but I have very, very clinging cats. Anyways, <laughs> the fact that she puts this in here with Fang doing it, I love it because I feel like it's very realistic. I love it. I do want to touch on the fact that he does mention that he thought about letting Buckbeak go since that becomes like a big part of the plot later on. But that's when he starts talking about going to Azkaban. And then I was like, oh, that makes me sad. He is overthinking, but I think he's at least, he's logically <laughs> overthinking. They do have that little thing that I was like, oh, I never thought I would feel bad for the flopper worms, but they died because of too much lettuce. <laughs> I like paused for a minute there and I was like, wow, that is a little bit sad. Like, well, it just goes to show, don't eat so much lettuce. That's right. Lettuce will kill you. <laughs> Tell your friends. <laughs> now is it Christmas time? Christmas! Quen Molly comes through with the fucking presents. Oh my god, we, I yes. mean, we knew she would. She always does. She's the does. best. The Christmas cake and the brittle and the mince pies. You can like almost picture her doing all of her Christmas baking. I love it And so imagine much. how the burrow smells and feels during that time so cozy and christmasy it's it's amazing you know it is but then harry of course has another gift and that is his firebolt this is where and it's very in tune with their personalities ron kind of gets overly excited obviously so does harry hermione comes in then and is obviously immediately suspicious she's like mm, i don't know 
I like the conversation that Ron and Harry are having before Hermione comes in, trying to figure out who sent it to him. They mentioned Lupin. Well, they mentioned Dumbledore, and he was like, no, Dumbledore Dumbledore, gave me my dad's cloak. It wasn't actually his. And then when he was like, oh, Lupin. I think it's very interesting that Ron would think Lupin. I don't know. I think Ron just likes to have an explanation, even if it doesn't make sense. Some of these are kind of good guesses. I'm almost surprised that McGonagall wasn't in there. Like, McGonagall wants Gryffindor to win. Right. Like, that would be my first thought. I would almost even think, what if, you know, we don't know much about anybody's background on the Quidditch team other than the twins. Yeah. But what if they all kind of came together and donated money for this? Aww. Or maybe it was all, all the Gryffindors, because all the Gryffindors want to win or right. something. You yeah. Know? It's interesting that Lupin does come up, but at least Ron is noticing that this is someone that seems to be fond of Harry, which I think is great. It's an astute observation on Ron's part. It's also important to note that Ron was cleaning out bedpans in the hospital wing and Lupin wasn't there. Yes. I think the way Harry says it is that when Lupin was away and then he's like, oh, he wasn't sick. He wasn't in the hospital wing. But then I was also still thinking like I even mentioned in a past episode, it sounds like he was just sick. Whereas in the past, I did assume that it was him out werewolfing and everything. Even if he was like sick to take just one day off from classes or maybe it was two or three doesn't mean that he had to go to the hospital wing like if he was just hung over right you know like well he could just be sleeping in yeah that makes sense to me obviously like i think that it's supposed to be implying that it would be for a couple of days and maybe if someone is ill for a couple of days they want them to be in the hospital wing but of course he wouldn't be because he's busy being a werewolf Also, if you're a werewolf and this happens once a month, you have to take like three sick days off every single time. That is a downside to being a werewolf. (laughs) That's got to suck. But but yeah, I don't know. I also am curious, like how often do the professors go to the hospital wing? I almost feel like it's a little bit different. Like it's a teacher going to the school nurse. You know what I mean? It's a little bit silly. Yeah. They should be able to handle themselves. They should go to St. Mungo's maybe. Maybe St. Mungo's is more serious stuff. But right. Um, but maybe the kids don't think like that. They're just like, if someone's yeah, sick, they're in hospital wing, you know? That's true. If this is one of the things that is being a clue for Lupin being a werewolf, I'm still not sold on it. I feel like the Bogart thing was a little bit more of a better clue. If anything, I feel like it proves more that Lupin's a drunk which (laughs) he's not i mean maybe he is we don't know (laughs) (laughs) then that's when hermione kind of comes in with crookshanks even before getting like excited or anything she becomes suspicious i already touched on this but i feel like she should have been a little bit more in the conversation here and voicing her concerns a little bit better like it's the same sort of thing of people not telling harry who serious whack is hermione just tell him what you're thinking at this point i wonder again these are kids i feel like i remember it was like eighth grade i think i had this big fight with two of my good friends i don't remember what the hell it was about but it was really stupid and i remember it had started basically by people not being 100 percent honest with what they were trying to say because they were trying to navigate through it in a way that wouldn't upset someone else And I think that that's how Hermione really approaches them still. She doesn't want to upset them. I think she also miscalculated by maybe not talking to just Harry. Harry is a lot more reasonable than Ron. I feel like she should know better. It's disappointing, I think. I mean, I also got to think she is also under a lot of pressure as well because of her workload. I don't know. I'm kind of disappointed in Hermione in some of these moments. 
But then they go down to Christmas dinner oh, yeah. or lunch or whatever it's it lunch. is. I was like, why isn't it dinner? Whatever. I mean, sometimes like on those holidays, you know, like dinner is, you know, three or something because it's like the one big meal of the day. Maybe that's what it is. They have chipolatas again, which could have very well been your nickname if you remember my <laughs> summary from the first book. <laughs> but that was after you were dubbed Jacket Potato. So no chipotatas for you. <laughs> This is a little bit awkward. <laughs> it's a very awkward Christmas meal. Yeah. And Dumbledore is trying, but I don't think he's trying that hard. Honestly, I almost feel like Dumbledore is just like, oh, this is a great idea. Let's do this. It'll be fun. And then he's a little bit oblivious, which I think is good. I think that's on par for Dumbledore. There's this poor little first year. They actually name him Derek. Poor Derek. He reminds me a little bit of Neville Longbottom. <laughs> There is that obvious fun moment with the vulture hat. Oh my god, yes. Why does Snape come to Christmas? He doesn't He doesn't want to be there. Just don't come. No. Same. I don't like when people who don't want to be there are there. If they have to be there, that's one thing. But like, Lupin isn't there. Well, because Lupin is werewolf and sick again, or werewolf hungover, and... or whatever again. Professor Sinatra isn't there. Madame Pince isn't there. People we talked there. about this in one of the previous books. Hagrid's like, not there. One... And Hagrid was there in past, yeah. in past Christmases. I wonder if it is something where they take maybe every other year. I can't necessarily remember who was there last Christmas, if they even mentioned it. But perhaps some people really are like, well, I'm going to go home to see my family. Right. Poor McGud then and Dumble and we all know that Snape probably doesn't have too many people and so I wonder if it really is like a choice. Well, these are the I, heads but, of houses plus Filch and Dumbledore, which seems weird, and then Trelawney. To go against my point, like Hagrid also doesn't really have anywhere to go unless he's out visiting Grop for some reason. So he don't know Grop yet. So I mean, Grop is obviously in the picture, <laughs> not to us, obviously. I mean, this little Trelawney moment is, I think, the most juicy part of this little scene agreed they do give some more notes about lupin like obviously snape helping lupin why are they talking about that in front of the children again like we've established that they have no filter (laughs) like it's boundaries boundaries are a problem are you are you making that potion for professor lupin let's talk about his health he isn't here to be like hey guys hippa they just don't have boundaries i think that's what it boils down to (laughs) and i mean that of course comes up from trani saying the thing about about like, well, Trelawney and Maga are kind of getting into it. She mentions the thing about, well, Lupin isn't here. If you ask me, Lupin isn't going to be here long anyways. I see that his future is foggy or whatever, which is interesting. I mean, it's kind of true. In a lot of these things, I talked about it in the first Trelawney chapter. She will say something based on what she is seeing, but she isn't spinning it in the right direction. And I feel like that is something that she should be doing more. And I mean, in this case, maybe she isn't seeing the full picture, but it's the whole thing of like, I keep thinking back to, I think in the book it was Harry saying, you're going to suffer and then you're going to be happy. Oh, yeah. Same kind of thing here. And we all know that she's obsessed with death. It sounds like Lupin's going to die when obviously it means something else. Right. You know, th- does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I love that you said that about her because I think she wants so much to be right and to actually be real. And, you know, she convinced herself everything that comes out of her mouth is important and in a prophecy or whatever. Like, that's an important part of her character and really just an important part of anyone who feels that way. You get caught up in trying to understand and trying to make things work to complete your story. This is stuff she can say and honestly she's not wrong it's good that you bring that up that she like convinced herself but i think the problem with a lot of this 
is that you're not going to be right all the time. Right. Some of this is fail-proof to bring up failure again. There's something to be said about perfectionism in this book. And like we see it with other people too, like Hermione, who is trying to do every single class and be perfect all the time. Wow. And, and things aren't perfect. And it's interesting to see that with Harry's story and how... No matter what happens, things still work out in the end. Now, the other interesting thing that happens here with Trelawney is the whole 13 at dinner Mm -hmm. thing, which is an actual superstition. There's actually an Agatha Christie book that is called Lord Edgeware Dies slash alternate title 13 at dinner. And it is about somebody who rises first from a table of eating 13 and they are the first to die. I love when you get Um, excited about Agatha Christie. There's a lot of opportunities to tie it back into this stuff. I'm telling you. (laughs) It's interesting because I've seen this being one of those memes that people bring up. It's like, oh, here's one of the times when Trelawney was right and he didn't know about it. There's something like this that happens in a later book, like with the Order of the Phoenix, I believe, where Dumbledore is the first one to rise and he is the first to die. But in this case, talking about fail-proof, Harry and Ron are the first to get up. Scabbers is in Ron's pocket, so technically there were 14 people at the table. That's what it is. I think that that's the explanation that you get when people start to overanalyze this. I'm pretty certain that Scabbers is present. Technically, at the end, there were 14. But before Trelawney sat down, there were 13 then, you know? That's true. Fucking Scabbers could have died. Darn. But (laughs) thanks, Trelawney. I also really like some of the little notes about like, oh, there wasn't an axe murder in the hallway or whatever. (laughs) McGonagall's just being, she's so great. Yeah. She's the best. I have to read it. I have. I doubt it will make much difference, Professor McGonagall said coldly, unless a mad axe man is waiting outside the doors to slaughter the first into the entrance hall. We already know about the protective charms to get into Hogwarts. <laughs> unless it really is Sirius Black when out there with an axe. Well, we'll see but, him soon enough. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's a big spoiler alert. Sirius, Sirius Black comes back in a few chapters and... Murders everyone with an axe, and somehow there are still four more books in the series. (laughs) So the last bit of this chapter is something that I already touched on, and that is that Hermione waits behind, talks to McGonagall. McGonagall comes to examine the broom and then takes it away so that they can... Um, check if there's any jinxes or hexes on it. I kind of already said my piece. I feel like Hermione should have asked Harry or talked to him about it or something like that first. She crossed a boundary, I think, in this instance. I think she did the right thing, sure, but it still rubs me a little bit the wrong way. I will say, at the end of the chapter, I'm more annoyed at, again, McGonagall. I know that we'll get more into it, you know, as we're waiting to get the broom back in the next chapter or two. Why didn't McGonagall just come in and be like, this is what we're doing. No ifs, ands, or buts, Harry. She didn't come in and take control. She kind of let it still fall on Hermione. It goes back to your thing about boundaries. No one is taking the time to be like, this is why we have to do these things. If there had been a conversation, it wouldn't have turned out like this, where it would have been Hermione against Harry and Ron and this whole, like, Hermione is a terrible person I think it still would have. Maybe not quite as strong. It wouldn't have been as strong. It may have actually been worse because I think Harry would have been caught more in the middle of it rather than on one side. I do think that McGonagall should have come in and been more firm. I do too. For sure. But I think no matter what, Hermione still would have gotten the brunt of it because of how Ron is in this moment. No matter what, if she comes in, they know that Hermione went Right. Ron jumped right on top of it. Here we go. 
Speaking of gifts, fuck Mary Kill. Okay. Three gifts from throughout the series. Okay. And there were a lot of options I could have done. I thought about putting Treacle Fudge in here. I thought about putting, got like a really fancy quill in the past. But I'm just gonna go on to the two big ones and one that was kind of useful. So fuck, Mary kill between the invisibility cloak, the flute that he gets from Hagrid in the first book and the firebolt. I guess I'm gonna have to fuck the firebolt. <laughs> because it's phallic again. <laughs> Tara always goes for the thing that looks most like a dick. What the hell are you gonna go for? Yeah, no, I'm probably going to fuck the fireball, but like... <laughs> I'm going to kill the flute and I'm going to marry the wonderful invisibility cloak. My answers are the same. <laughs> However, when I put this together, I was like, this one could be tricky because the flute was still very, very important. The flute was the great. Book. When you have those other two, like, it's really hard to, like, make any other adjustments to kill the broom or the cloak. I mean, the flute is phallic too, but just not as... I'm not concerned about the shape of these <laughs> objects, Tara. I'm concerned about their usefulness. <laughs> I mean, you're you're fucking the broom because it's a fun thing. Well, yeah, you're marrying because it's something that is useful. <laughs> I talk about stability when I think about my marriages. Okay, <laughs> I don't even like fucking that much, but when I think of fucking, I'm like, oh, that's probably a fun thing to do. So, what's the fun thing in these instances? <laughs> not really on either of those levels. So. I mean, they probably would have figured something else out in the fucking moment. They could say Akio violin and Hermione could be like, oh yeah, I took violin lessons back when I was a muggle bitch. <laughs> so the <sighs> flute probably wasn't that important anyways. Oh my God. Or Ron could have been like, I really know how to whistle. I don't know. I don't know how to whistle and I'm salty about it every time I think about it. I forced myself to learn how to whistle. Can't, can't. I tried. I learned how to knit for a show, but I could yeah. not teach myself how to whistle for a show. I'm just not that skilled. I had to try to teach Pam Matthews how to knit, and she never learned. Pam Matthews is a bad knitter. Moving on to the movie. <laughs> uh, what movie? The movie doesn't cover this chapter. Exactly. I literally have nothing to say. Zero things because, to say because it doesn't because the this chapter. Firebolt does come up later in the book. We'll talk about it at that point. We get no Christmas. We don't get this scene with Hagrid. We're not getting any more Quidditch at all. Yeah. They completely remove that. So I get it. They have to cut things. This is one of those little side plots that I think is easier to remove. They get enough of the Trelawney bullshit, the Lupin bullshit, the Scabbers bullshit without this chapter. Yeah. And because we don't have this conversation here with Ron and Hermione, which I think is a hell of a lot more realistic, that's, I think, why they have that little tantrum moment in the movie in the last chapter. But other than that, I really don't have anything to say. That's because there's nothing to say. Yeah. Well, even for Death Day Party, we were able to come up with something. There was other stuff that happened, though. Yeah. yeah this, this chapter isn't in the movie, folks. No. Sorry. Sorry. I'm giving five to Fang You're because of the reason gaving? I mentioned. I said giving. Okay, it sounded like you said gaving. You're still thinking about that broom in your booty hole. <laughs> In your gaping booty Get hole. Get the fuck out. Tell me about your voice. Five to Fang because of the reason why I mentioned Fang is a good Aww. boy. Five to Derek because poor Derek. <laughs> Ten to Molly because she's good at giving gifts. 
tend to Hagrid because I feel bad for Hagrid. I was going to give or take away from Harry because he's also in a not great place in this chapter. Originally, I was going to take away because I was like, he's being a little bit rude about I need to go march down to Hagrid's hut and demand why he didn't tell me about Sirius Black. Then he was nice. So he's evening out. Only person I'm taking points away from, and this is probably not a shock to you, is Hermione. (laughs) Because I do think she crossed boundaries and could have handled that a little bit better. We see that with some other people. We talked about McGonagall and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But I almost feel like Hermione walks into it. She had the right intentions, but come on. I feel like she should know better. That's five thing. Five Derek, ten Molly, ten Hagrid nigga to fight Hermione. And that is chapter 11. Chapter 11. Next is chapter 12. Yeah. That's how numbers work. Are you surprised? Anybody thinking we were going to go right into chapter 13? No, we would have much better gone right from chapter 10 to chapter 12, to be honest, because that's what the movie did. But the chapter 12 is the Patronus. The Patronus. Woo. Which is a very important chapter. Is important. You know, this was was important. The movie just didn't think so. Yeah, there's character building and there's story building too. Mm-hmm. The Firebolt is going to be important. Mm-hmm. But the movie hates Quidditch. So yeah. plus 10 points to mindfulness, negative 10 points from the movie. <laughs> Those aren't actually in my point totals. But if you want to put them in there, that's fine. No, I already put them in my list. Y'all know I have a running total here. I'm not going to fuck with this it. This fucker loves Excel. Once in a while, Tara will, in her discussion, unknowingly persuade me to change my points. But no, not this time. I know I stand by it. That's fine. We have to do what we just did 50 more times, and then we'll be to 100. Uh, Our 100th episode should be a special episode, for sure. We got another year until we get there. All right. Well, we need to get a refill. Yeah, we do. Get ready for your even episode, everybody. But anyway, till next time, wash your hands. Wash your hands and don't be a dick. Please. Praise Jesus. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch Catch you later, later, snitches. snitches!